Mr. Don. Yeah. Uh, I thought we might start out by talking about something that, that I think cannot be overdone, but it seems like people won't do it, and that is the, the, the routine servicing of automobiles. My father was a person who was not given to doing that kind of thing, and consequently we always had automobiles that uh, when I went out on a date on one of my father's cars, I was never sure if I was going to get home. So I, I, I swore an oath on that when I turned the, 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 the key, the ignition, and cranked up my cars when I was an adult, they were going to work if I could possibly achieve that. And so far, with the help of people like you, and uh, and I will say right at this point, I, uh, I will talk you, talk you up to the high heavens, but I actually take my car to King's Auto, mostly because it's closer than your place to, quite a ways to my there. house. He, he and we've talked about this before. But uh, uh, Mrs. Kearney knows that after I'm gone, that if King's Auto is closed one day, that, that the address she should... Take the car to at 6425 Glenwood Avenue, but uh, let's talk about servicing automobiles. I, I, the, the, you've been working on them close to 50 years now, and I'm sure that. Well, I used to have a Pontiac that I think had 28 grease points on it, and I doubt if the car I have now has any. Uh, well, I, I have two Toyotas, so you would know whether they have grease points or not.
And that's the kind of the kind that would be classified. I think you would classify it as a as a kind of severe driving because right. of the stopping and starting and and never building up a lot of speed and sometimes not really getting the car car warm. I I know when I was driving from my home to WPTF, uh, quite often it would just be barely getting warm when I got there, and uh, just and that was basically what I was driving uh, before the uh, the virus hit us, and I got to stay home then. Uh, so, yeah, but, uh, most, most things on the car are meant to get up to a certain temperature, the transmission, the engine, all your fluids, you get up to a certain temperature, and the, the quicker they do that and, and stay there at that temperature, the, the better things work. Well, it's for a time in my life, in the, in like the, well, when I was in my 30s and 40s, I had automobiles that uh, were used automobiles, and, and they were not in as good a shape as my new automobiles had been, and I sometimes had to add oil or add transmission fluid and things like that, but... Now, I'll have to tell you, if I pulled up the hood of either one of them, I wouldn't have any idea where to put the oil. Uh, and that's, that's, I guess, why I need my owner's manual. But I'm, well, that, I'm thinking about it, I'm sort of surprised that it has come to that, that I don't even know where to do it. You, know, have, you, know, you can do that, and that's good to know, but having a good shop to take care of it for you is, is just as good, or if not better. Well, that's one of the things that I know that I've heard... Uh, in the time that I've been doing shows with mechanics is that so much of the technology now uh, takes over the understanding of the car and compensates for certain things and that people do not uh, take the automobiles in to be routinely looked over. And, and I'm, I still believe in the preemptive strikes, so to speak, or the kind of thing you do for your own body when you go for your annual checkup. And I actually go at this point in my life for an annual, and, a, and in between I go for a I guess it would be a semi-annual. It's not as com complex as the other one, but to make sure that everything is working working all right and and that you need to, on certain appointed days or at certain appointed times, uh, you need to take it in and have it have it checked over and looked over uh, so that if something about is about to fall off, the, the mechanic can say, uh, Mr. Kearney, I think you're going to need to do something about this muffler, you know, that kind of thing. Well, that's very true. I mean, putting it up on the lift, having a mechanic, a good practice mechanic with a practice eye can tell a lot in a, in a very short time and, and a lot of times head things off before they become big issues for you. And become more expensive in the long run. And uh, more dangerous in some cases. And, and dangerous. Uh, uh, I know I used to, somebody in this market used to do a commercial and it had to do not with getting the car moving but stopping it. And then he, I think it was a place that specialized in brakes, but that's, and that's one thing on the automobile, that the technology, I don't think, has really changed very much in the in the years that you've been working on automobiles, is, is they've gone from uh, the old-style brakes to, uh, uh, what am I trying to say, uh, the, the kind of brakes that are on disc brakes, yeah. uh, but, but they're still very mechanical, and that, and that part has not become as electronic or as controlled by computers as other, as other parts of the automobile have, have, have no, come it, to be. It's creeping. It's gotten in there with the anti-lock brake system. But at its core, brakes are still trading uh, friction for heat to slow the car down. But the way they control it with hydraulics and some, some electronics now is, is fairly complex in a lot of cases. But the core of it, you're still using friction to generate heat, which slows the car down. It's not a whole lot different from that. 1910 Ford that uh, there was a big uh, piece of wood connected to a, uh, an iron cable that went back to the back <laughs> wheels and, 
and to stop it, you had to pull the wood piece of wood down and engage in, and, and that friction, just like the modern friction, would stop the automobile. Uh, can we stop for a moment and take sure. a break? Sure. And uh, then we'll come back and uh, maybe wander around the, the field of uh, talking about automobiles a little bit. Bobby Dunn, uh, longtime uh, proprietor of Triangle Car Care, been getting grease under his uh, fingernails for close to 50, 45, between 45 and 50 years. I think that's right, isn't it, Bobby? Uh, and, uh, we just had uh, our 52nd anniversary at the shop. 52nd Well, and that's the kind of thing you need is when you have experience, you know things that uh, are not going to be in the book somewhere. You've seen something done that, that uh, at least that's been my experience with mechanics, that they can figure out a way to make something work a lot of times when it would not be in the book, so to speak. We're going to take a break, and we'll be back with Bobby Dunn in just a couple of minutes. February 3rd. Bobby Dunn, are you there? John, is, is Bobby there? Yes, I'm here, Tom. Okay. Uh, we did, John and I played with the pots a little bit during the break, and uh, we, uh, well, I think it's, we could... We, you're going to have a little more volume. I'll be able to hear you better. And so, uh, uh, I was going to say, and then I thought Bobby might want to hear this, but uh, today is the day the music died. I don't know, Bobby, if you know what that means. but that's Buddy uh, Holly and Big Bopper. Uh, there you go. That's what we talked about last night. I'm, I've always been a big uh, big uh, Buddy Holly fan, and, and I, I don't think he gets the recognition that he, he deserves because he, he sort of took what Elvis Presley had and, and built on it and, you know the the, the band he had uh, two two guitars a bass and a drum is what the Beatles used. In fact, the Beatles were greatly influenced by him. Uh, almost all the modern bands are you know just built around guitars and stuff. And that's one of the things that he added. And he wrote his songs, he played them, uh, uh, he published them, and which is and he did all this by the time he was 22. So he did a, he was, and then he was tragically killed in a plane accident early on the. Hours, early hours of uh, February 3rd in 1959, so it was 62 years ago. That was about the time that young Bobby Dunn was buying his first car. Does that sound right, Bobby Dunn? <laughs> that was a segue. That's what. That's the radio thing that I just did. <laughs> uh, but but uh, you were probably buying your first car somewhere along there. Does that sound right? Um, let's see. Actually, my first car was a motorcycle, so that would have been in... Well, you know what? I, I once I when I I had thought about getting a motorcycle, I wouldn't do it now for anything. But uh, then I, I thought I wanted one. But I talked to a guy who had a motorcycle, and his motorcycle cost more than than a lot of cars that I knew about. And he said, you know, it's like a sewing machine; you have to work on it all the time. Mm-hmm. Well, I wasn't prepared for that, so I decided maybe I'd just get a used car. <laughs> anyway, but do you remember what your first car was? Well, my first car that. that was supposed to be mine was a 58 Chevy, but I never got it running. It was, you know, had to be repaired. After that, it was a 65 Chevy. Well, now, in the 58 Chevy, I think that's what you said, it's a sort of an odd car among the Chevy line. I mean, it was a lot different from the year before and from the year after. Right. The years before and after both had some sort of tail fins, uh, but 58 did not. For some reason, they got away from it for one year. We're not, never ever heard why that was. Yeah, well, I had a 59 Chevy. It was my first car, and it, it could almost take off if you could have gotten it going fast enough, but it was zero to 60 in about five minutes. Is what, uh, <laughs> it was a six-cylinder, and it was a 
nice get thing it rolling, about, keep rolling. Well, yeah, the nice thing about it was it you felt fairly safe in it, and it was a car that was, uh, I told you I like to talk about, about cars. It was manufactured, or it was sold first in the state of California, which meant it had a couple of things on it that other cars didn't have. And one of the things was two solid bumpers. There were no segmented bumpers. The bumper was, it was there to absorb energy, and it did. Mm-hmm. And, uh, uh, but uh, it, it was uh, six cylinders and very heavy, and it just took a while to get it going. But once you got it going, you, you could probably coast all the way from Greensboro to Goldsboro. <laughs> just about. <laughs> well, it, but it was mine. I paid for it, and, uh, and so... Uh, and it was the green machine, is what Mrs. Kearney used to call it. And uh, but anyway, uh, uh, that uh, did you did you spend any time working on the, and that, what did you say, '65 Chevy? Well, the '58 I tried to work on and get it going, and never never could get enough help at the time. It's uh, and I always had other things going on. I was in school, so '65 came along and it was running, so that took precedence that I could ride immediately. You didn't have one that had something like a super sports label or something like oh, that. Oh no, no, mine was about as plain as it got. It did have, did have a V8, but a very small one. But uh, that was other than that, it was about as plain as you could get. Well, I used to have a guy that came came to visit me, and in fact, if I would invite him, he would come now. Who was a, liked to play with cars here in Raleigh, and he came out on a '63 or four somewhere. And the nice, he opened the he hood up, and I looked down and I said, "You can see the ground." <laughs> You know what I mean. You, oh, there was yeah, not so much stuff under the hood that you could you could see all the way to the ground and everything. But uh, and those are the days when you could you could bang on what we used to be called a generator. I used to have a an opal that if it didn't work right, a coke bottle would fix it. Then you just had to bang on the generator a little bit. And they would you know, or a starter actually, and you bang on the generator occasionally too. But uh, uh, it, it would finally work if you if you did that. Yeah. Uh, but the reason I retreated, and we're going to take a break here in a minute for the news and then come back to this, is I, I, I thought I could would try like to tease out of you some of the cars that you've had along the way and how you noticed the technology changing of a person who had to repair those automobiles over the years and uh, that they've gone from being purely mechanical to sometimes being almost totally electronic. But right now at 9.30, we need to check the news. Then you can back at the wheel But as in time they start to Hug and kiss and then the darn old engine It would miss and then you have to get under Get out and get under and Fix up his automobile Okay, John, we can pull that now. Mr. Don, can you hear me? This is Tom Kearney. John, please do. Bobby, can you, have you ever heard this song before? No, I never heard that one. Well, it just proves that uh, problems with automobiles are not new. That's circa about 1910, you know. Wow. And the guy's out on a trip, and he's got to get out in his Sunday suit. He's winding and dining in his sweetie, and he has to get out and get under it to fix the machine. And, uh, <laughs> so it's, it's, it's not brand new. And and I, I've been down that road. I don't know if you've been down that road. You probably were better able to cope with it than I was. But again... If, if we want to be serious for a moment, that's a reason for the preemptive strike on anything that's wrong with your automobile, is to so you fix it so you don't have to get out and get under or beside the interstate on a Sunday afternoon, get out and stand there and look at the steam rise while you're waiting for the AAA guy to come and get you. But uh, anyway, uh, uh, 
can we can we talk for a moment about uh, we we got you back there with that uh, sixty five Chevy sixty five Chevy. How many cars would you say that you've had since then? Oh gosh, yeah, I used to buy and sell a lot of cars. So I don't, if you don't count those, I've probably had I don't know twenty, twenty five maybe. Well, there's a person who who was in the profession who is was and is in the profession of repairing automobiles. What do you think is the the most challenging or most uh, evident or something you'd like to talk about in terms of the changing technology? Would it be the fact that we've gone well pretty much from the uh, from the straight shift to the to the automatic shift? Although when the uh, when the Mustang came along in the mid '60s, one of the things it introduced was bucket seats and and you had the the, the four on the floor, five on the floor kind of thing return. Yep. But do any of those things though, reflect a, a change in technology that made your your job uh, easier or worse? Well, it's it, it's got to be a challenge to keep up with it. Back in the '60s, you know, it was a thing was a big jump when we went from drum brakes to disc brakes. That was everybody thought that was huge. Now, as each year passes, the technology is accelerating faster and faster, especially with all the electronics that control it. And that's that's a pretty good challenge just to try to keep up with that because. It's actually a legislation we've been trying to get through, and we finally went through in Massachusetts, I believe. I'm not, I read it right a month or two ago. But we call the right to repair because we think everyone should have equal access to the information that it takes to fix the car. And some of the manufacturers were not as forthcoming as we would have liked for that. So that's probably our biggest challenge at the moment is trying to get the proper information to be able to, to address the issues on the cars. So you'd be dealing with a level level playing field, so to speak. Right, and, and, and our philosophy has always been you own that car, so the information is yours. That You shouldn't be held captive to go anywhere. Uh, and I don't know if that's why they're doing it, but you know, it does does limit the, the independent on what they can do somewhat. So. Well, you know, when you when your folks who are uh, the independent, I know the independent garage owners are involved in the politics, as most people would be involved in the politics of their profession. I can remember at one time uh, I got my eyeglasses. Uh, I went to the optometrist or the or the uh, the eye doctor, uh, and uh, the the eyeglasses were prescribed, and they were also delivered by the person who uh, prescribed them. And and there was a law that changed that said that the the doctor had to give you the prescription, and you were allowed to choose wherever you wanted to go to have to get your glasses. And that's right. the same kind of thing I think you're involved in here. Yeah. yeah. Somebody yeah. can diagnose what's wrong with your automobile, but you you should be able to take it to somebody who's on an equal playing field, whether it's an independent garage or or a dealer's garage. Yeah, I mean, that's the way, as independent, that's the way we feel. And, you know, I understand they have some proprietary information which they need to protect, but there's, there's some stuff we think should be universal and, and allowed uh, to the independent sector to, to have access to it. Well, I've done it both ways, and uh, it, I think it works just as well with the independent garage owners as, as otherwise uh, uh, along the way uh, in, in dealing with the, the, the individual problems that come up. I've noticed over the years when callers would call in and ask uh, you and the other mechanics questions, there were two or three questions that seemed to be ones that 
there was a, a difference of opinion on it. I remember one night we had a program that was devoted, maybe it was one Saturday morning, but it was devoted almost entirely to uh, to the question of how much how much air to put in the in the tires. You know exactly how much should you put in the tires, and and uh, at other times how how what kind of oil you should use. And the only thing that people could agree on at that time were mechanics was that there was one brand that you should use. I will not say what it is. <laughs> no problem. But you probably know what it is. It was made east of the Mississippi. So yep. The oil came from east of the Mississippi, but that was the, the one thing that could not be, be agreed on. But now we're... we're and in, in the early 70s, there was a gasoline crisis. And uh, I think we had a lot of changes in, in uh, regulation uh, of... Uh, manufacturer of automobiles, you know, the expectation that you would get more certain miles per gallon. And there right. seemed to be a, a change, and I don't know where this came from. Uh, it almost would have to be something regulated. But uh, that automobiles began to look alike. At one time, they were almost works of art. I, I used to look, enjoy looking at DeSoto's with those gun, gun sight taillights on them. Right. And when I was in, the, in grade school, I used to sit in grade school and and draw the outline of automobiles and saber jets too. So, uh, if, if you know what that is, it's a jet airplane. But, but yeah. the car I was drawing, I, I found some of those that my mother had saved, and uh, as mothers would do. And I can tell you, the car was probably an Oldsmobile that I was drawing the outline of because it had that. You come back and you go down a little bit, and then you go up over the rear wheel and so on. But, uh, but now. On an average day, if you sit out on the side of the highway and watch the automobiles go by, the styling is kind of like somebody took a, a, a vintage Mustang—not a vintage Mustang, vintage Mercedes Benz—and just, you know, kind of drew, used it as a base. And they tend, the Japanese cars tend to look alike at, uh, in, in, in a certain price point. Well, pretty much most of them have been tested in the wind tunnel to try to maximize or minimize their wind resistance to get better fuel economy. So. There's a lot of that that goes on, and that affects the appearance of the car, obviously. Something has, something else has become more important. But there are still places and there's still situations in where you get uh, the automobile uh, that it has been turned by somebody into a work of art, uh, body shops and, and things like this. I used to watch this program on television, and I don't know, I don't even know the name of it, but uh, each week they, these kind of wild-looking guys would take a, an automobile that somebody had found that was like the one they had when they were a kid and try to restore it to look a little bit like it looked when, when he might have had it as a teenager and so on. And there were some works of art. And California is a place where that kind of thing reigns, but I think there's probably a, a place for it in, in, in every geographic location. You can see quite a bit of it around here if we ever start having car shows again with all the pandemic going on, obviously those have been, a lot of those are canceled, but hopefully this year we'll get more of them back, because I love going to them to, to see what the different people have done to their cars and what their what their vision was, how they got there. One of the things that, that I would like to know more about is the, the situation vis-a-vis uh, automobile racing, because what, what, don't we have sort of a standard platform? For, for the automobiles that are out there. And that is, at one time, uh, say in the beginning days of NASCAR, the, the car would be a Ford or a Plymouth or a Chevy or an Oldsmobile or whatever. But uh, but the platforms in which you have the bodies now are, are pretty much the same kind of thing. Is, is that not the case? 
they're all very similar. They have a uh, template, a set of templates that the cars have to go through, or NASCAR anyway. Uh, other other racing sanctioning bodies are a little different, but NASCAR, you have to go through a set of templates to make sure you haven't gained an unfair advantage aerodynamically over someone else. It's, they, they try to keep it as equal as they can and let the people be ingenious with their car uh, setup as far as chassis settings and that sort of thing, and the driver ability. The human don't want, element, yeah. don't want somebody just to be able to build one car that just negates everybody else. It was a while before I had figured that out, and, and, and uh, at one time it was uh, Plymouth, uh, Chevy, Ford, uh, Curtis Turner. You remember Curtis Turner? Yep. I think he had it. Didn't he drive a Ford? I think he was back in the Ford factory days. When, yeah, uh, right. Well, that's the kind of thing a little young man knew in those days. Who, who yeah, in the 60s, 70s, the factory uh, teams would come in for a while, and then they'd, and they'd leave the sport for a while, and then they'd come back in, and there's lots of cycles of who was driving for who. We need to take a break here. We're talking about automobiles tonight, and I'm throwing Mr. Dunn a lot of curveballs. <laughs> By the way, uh, I was talking to a lady who was maybe a guest in the future, and she had looked at our uh, schedule for this week, which we, by the way, post on the website every Monday morning, and it said that tonight we would be talking about automobiles, and she saw that your name was on there, and she said, Bobby Dunn, apparently she's from Greensboro, and there used to be a guy in Greensboro who had a Chevy dealership or Plymouth or something named Bob Dunn, and I said, well, I don't think he's any of Bobby Dunn's folks, but... uh, I thought I would report that to you anyway. Yeah, I've heard of him, but I've never never met him and don't know that he's related in any way. Right. Well, I, I, I took the liberty of, because uh, I know a little, a little of your genealogy uh, without your permission, but to say I, I don't think they're connected, but I'll at least ask him along sure. the way. But he, he she remembered him uh, from from uh, her the, the days of her youth. So, well, let's let's take a break, and we'll okay. come back, and uh, we'll see if there's any particular subject uh, that, that's on your mind or anything that you want to encourage or discourage about the future of automobiles uh, and good. so on. Any changes? I know you and I have talked about the fly-by-wire changes that have taken place in automobiles as more and more electronics have crept in. And uh, I, I just don't believe that ultimately we're going to have an electric, electric car, you know, that you get into it and it, it drives you around. I think that we've got too much invested in our culture uh, in, 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 in driving the automobile. People might end up riding streetcars everywhere they go, but I just don't believe it's going to take away the, the automobile. But you might want to reflect on that when we come back. Okay. WPTF, the Tom Kearney Show on this Wednesday night. It's the day, is it Wednesday? No. Yes, it is Wednesday night. On the day the music died, February 3rd. Uh, and uh, we'll be back. We didn't get a chance, by the way, to promote that tomorrow night Dr. Edward Funkhauser will be our guest. He is the keeper of the role of the, the necrology, which is a list of those people who have passed away recently but deserved to be remembered. And we've, we've had a whole lot of particularly famous folks to die recently, and Dr. Funkhauser will, will bring them to your attention so that you will know in case it slips by you somehow that this or that person passed away and is no longer with us. That's tomorrow night. Friday night will be trivia night. And Monday night, Dr. Mike Walden will be with us to talk about the economy. 951 at WCCF Radio, AM 680 and FM 98.5. Tom Kearney here every night, Monday through Friday from 9 until 10 with a uh, 
a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Uh, we hope to entertain and edify you. And tonight, uh, we're doing a little bit of both. We're talking about automobiles. Uh, I've never really been a car guy. I, I have a, a sturdy, uh, two sturdy Camrys. Mrs. Kearney gets to drive one of them. I see it. It's, it's her car. But uh, I've always, Bobby, are you there? We're here. I've always secretly wanted one sports car, and only one, and that is that I would like to, to, if somebody wanted to give me one, I'd like to have a Corvette uh, vintage of about 20 years ago. And, uh, and uh, But nobody's volunteered yet, so. <laughs> And, but, and I probably could, uh, couldn't afford it. One question. I had actually written down several questions I was going to address to you tonight. And one, I'm going to see if you're interested in this particular subject. And that is one of the things that one wonders about is that as our world has changed and the technology has changed, I had the guy from uh, some high school in Raleigh who or junior high that taught shop uh, a number of years ago. And I asked him about training for mechanics and plumbers and things like that. And he said, well, for automobile mechanics, you don't need a degree or, or training now in mechanical things. You need a degree in electrical engineering uh, because he could see the, the computer things come on. The people that you employ uh, to your mechanics uh, and, and indeed yourself, uh, uh, did, did you learn, was it on-the-job training or was there were training programs that were set up in like the community colleges and so on to produce Mine was on the job, and most of my guys are either on the job or they went through uh, a a, uh, training at a a tech school and then more on-the-job training. You cannot learn it all in two or three years at a tech school. Right. You've got to get your hands on it and see it, and stuff's changing so fast. Uh, The big thing is the apprenticeship program for mechanics is now now back. We've lost it for a few years. But it's now back, and uh, in fact, I'm getting ready to add an apprentice to, to our staff. And the, I always have believed that the, the apprenticeship, so someone is taught and mentored, not just how to fix it, but the right way to approach it uh, and do the, do things correctly uh, all the way through the process from diagnosing it to fixing it to making sure it's complete uh, and that there's no other root causes of the problem. The only way you can, to me, you can really learn that is you really got got to have someone that can mentor you and, and lead you through some of the steps that we have to do. I, I, I've always liked the word you're using there, because to me, mentoring somebody means teaching and more than that too. Exactly, it means guidance. I know when I was at Wake Forest, I have a friend who tutored football players, and I mentored them, and my job was to make sure they went to class. Studied and so on that they didn't just go slack and he taught them the you know the, the courses but I just think that that's a really good choice. Well, I've been interested in that and I've noticed that uh, some of the the uh, large auto dealers in the state have expressed some interest in this particular program too. And you know one wonders when your automobile is being worked on or your plumbing is being dealt with or your HVAC is is in the hands of someone exactly where they got their training and who mentored or or passed on them. I, I know they. The uh, apprenticeship situation goes back, you know, way back into the Middle Ages, and you used to have to be apprenticed, and then you become a journeyman, and then you could become a master. Yep, exactly. And as I understood it, when you become a master, that means you can teach other people. Yep. Uh, but uh, but, it, but yep. it was it was a way that a profession got its new members, but also protected itself against people who claimed that they knew what they were doing when, in fact, they 
had never had any training and didn't know what they were doing. And by the way, I've met some mechanics. When you have most of my life, early part of my life, I had junky used cars, and you meet a lot of those people along the way. And uh, sometimes they would fix it, and sometimes, and uh, I don't think they were intending to, to, to take me for a ride. It's just they didn't actually know what they were doing. You know, a lot of the time. Well, but sometimes people would replace parts and assume that fixed it without testing it. I've, I've known people that were not allowed to test drive cars, and that's just how do you know you fixed it unless you can test it? Right. About the apprenticeship that's coming back, Tom, is people can get a two-year degree in the automotive repair at the uh, tech school, at uh, the Brown County Tech School, and it's free. They don't have to pay for it. So anyone that's interested in it, it's a good good opportunity for them, the way things are, are being presented right now. And I presume there's a way that, uh, you know, say if I had somebody was listening and wanted to approach that, they would know, they would would know or be aware of how you want uh, would approach that, and I guess it's through the tech colleges and that kind of yeah, thing? Yeah, we used to call them tech school, like the correct term. Okay. probably community colleges now, but, yeah, they all should should have knowledge of it, even if they haven't got it set up in their own uh, uh, curriculum yet, but most of them do, the way I understand it. I know Wake Tech does. Well, I can tell you as a consumer, I, I applaud you and all the, whoever, the people who are responsible for that because uh, the, we, we consumers, you know, we, we hire people to fix our plumbing and to fix our air conditioners and to fix our automobiles, et cetera, and, and sometimes it's a crapshoot. You don't know, in fact, what you're getting. It's nice to know that, like your doctors and lawyers and Indian chiefs, that somebody has passed on these people. You know what we've done, Mr. Dunn? What's that? We've used up a radio hour tonight. <laughs> okay. And so on. May How I give you a call after about? the program for just a minute at this number? Pardon? May I give you a call at, at your home? Sure, uh, absolutely. Okay, I would like to do that. Thank you for being with us tonight. Bobby Dunn of Triangle Car Care, 6425 Goodwood Avenue. uh, He's been our guest tonight. He's one of our nighttime mechanics, and uh, we can recommend uh, Triangle Car Care without reservation.